Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 79, Character Advancement, recorded Thursday, February 11th of 2016, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. Let's uh, jump right into our episode here. Got... Very little news, I think, other than the fact that this episode is going to be maybe a little rougher sounding than usual. I'm not even going to say rougher. It's going to sound maybe a little different. And the reason for that is Peter's going to be editing this episode for me and probably the next one if he's willing. Yeah, well, we'll see how it goes. I still need you to get me kind of a manual, but you still got some time to do that. Yeah, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of screenshots and stuff. And of course, the reason that he's going to be editing this is that when this episode drops, if my math and calendar is correct, it'll be what, about two days until you are expecting to welcome your second child? Yeah, yeah, it'll be <laughs> it'll be that week. So Peter's doing me a big favor here. <laughs> it's really kind of what this comes down to. Well, Peter's needed to learn this skill for a while. That's so. true. It's nice having a backup editor just in case. I did actually have a... Um, a very nice offer from another listener to do editing for us. And it was very, very kind of him. And if, if you weren't willing to do that, I'd be certainly willing to go that route. But uh, having somebody kind of engaged with the process who knows what's going on other than me is probably a good idea. Does this guy do this professionally or? I'm not sure, but he was kind enough to offer. Hmm. You know, just to, to cover while I was out. Maybe so. get me his contact information in case I have questions and you're busy being a dad for a yeah, while. I will. I, I do want to get into our topic here pretty quickly because I think it's going to be a big topic. Yeah, this one might be a little on the long side, actually. Yep. But before we get into it, I want to remind everyone that we really love getting iTunes reviews of the podcast, not just because, oh, hey, somebody likes what we're doing, but even negative reviews are good guidance for us, and it helps other people find the podcast. So find us on iTunes or anywhere else that you happen to listen to us, and take a minute and review our show. It really does help. Even just a, you know, a quick rating. You, know, you don't have to write out a, a four-paragraph review. Just let other people know what you think of the show. That helps a ton. So helping share us around on social media is a big help, too. Yeah, and don't be afraid if you've got something that you would like to see a little bit differently or something to put that in the review. We got the idea for an entire series after we sat down and put our heads together over some constructive criticism we got in a review from one of our listeners. So Exactly. Also along the same lines, um, if you want to get in touch with us, as you heard in our last episode, we love hearing from you guys. We don't usually via email all that often. Most of the interaction that we have with our listenership is through social media. So if you've got something a little longer format that uh, you'd like to send to us, host at stgcast.org, right? That's the the right email address. Or you can use the contact us form on stgcast.org. Either one works. I think that's all we've got, right? I think so, too. All right. So let's get into our scripture and then let's jump into our topic. All right. Uh, do you mind if I take this first one here? Not at all. All right. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And this is Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 14. 
So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we're talking about character advancement tonight. And, you know, this is one of those topics that I think we've kind of had brewing for a while. And we just sort we've of kind of touched on it. on it a little. We've touched on it here and there. But I think you, you know, you've been playing XCOM 2 since its release. I have nonstop, been. Nonstop, as I understand it. <laughs> About 60 hours in so far. I took vacation. Good grief. Yeah. It's been out, what, a week? Not even. It'll have been out a week tomorrow. That's fairly impressive. <laughs> okay. Enough of that. Just take a break. Step away. Step away. What do you think I'm doing right now? I went into work for five hours today, too. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Anyway, we were kind of talking about it, and the, the topic of character advancement came up, and we both just sort of leapt on it, because it's one of those things that I think a lot of gamers take for granted, and... Uh, looking at it and kind of getting a, a good understanding of the purpose of character advancement in your game, in in the meta plot of your story, in the tone of the game, really understanding that fairly critical piece of it, I think will help a lot. It gives you a, it lets you know what you're doing rather than just trusting that a mechanic is always right. Yeah. So the first thing we really want to ask ourselves when we're talking about character advancement is what's the value? Yeah, why even do this at all? Yeah. And I think there's well, there's probably a lot of reasons that we're going to touch on, but let's let's throw out 3 real quick. The first is a sense of progress for the players rather than anything in the story. It's basically kind of marking time and racking up points and watching those little bars fill and as numbers go up, you can look at it and say, "Oh, I've we have made progress in the story because the character advancement should theoretically go hand in hand with story advancement. It's kind of a way of measuring story advancement mechanically. And this is this is particularly common in D&D style games where you've got kind of going on an adventure level up kind of a thing. It's certainly not exclusive to that style I, of gaming. I think it's really very common in most games because the idea is. is the more points we have the closer we are to the story's end true right? but i guess the archetype is probably dnd yeah that's true i'll grant you that the second thing is that it mechanically represents that hero's journey from your nobody to somebody powerful you know the the hero of legend that sort of thing now there are a lot of variations on that theme there are plenty of games where character advancement never really is about the Campbellian hero's journey at all, but mechanically that's kind of what's happening as you go from no one to someone. Yeah, and we've actually got a kind of a detailed example of what this looks like later in the episode. Then the last one that we've got, the third reason, is the idea of gated unlocks, the, the kind of Skinner box that um, helps motivate you to keep playing. A lot of the time you'll see this sort of thing referenced with Diablo-style games or MMOs where you kind of grind to get cool unlocks and stuff, but lest you think of that as a wholly negative thing, it's the same reason why Habitica works. As you progress, you get different little stuff available to you, and it's it's a way that you can kind of... It, it trips the motivation centers in the human brain a little bit. Exactly. At its most negative, it's a way to earn your fun. At its most positive, it's 
a reward that really increases the fun. So Yeah, and it also helps it can help with buy in a little bit. Yeah. You know, it can. if if you have a, a session that's um you're just you're not firing on all cylinders, but you still advance a little bit, it still doesn't feel quite as bad. Yeah. So there are a lot of different ways characters can advance. And I don't mean mechanically. Like we're not gonna sit here and break down levels versus character point by stuff versus skill Life point. Life paths, you know. yeah. yeah no, 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 no. We're, we're not getting into that. There's too many variations on those. That would be a boring podcast anyways because we'd yes. just be listing things. Yeah, that's no fun. And we're bad enough about listing things as it is. <laughs> True. Yeah, but there are a couple of different advancement things that I do want to kind of touch on. The first is character advancement in the sense of greater personal power. And I think this is the most common thing. It's what we instantly think of. It's the level up, the I've got points to spend on my character, you know, that sort of thing. And certainly the first of these is physical power, right? Yeah. You're bigger and tougher. You've got more stuff you can do. You have more hit points. Whatever. Yeah. My numbers went up. Yep. Second is knowledge. And this can be this can be really abstract or really mechanical. It can sometimes be both in the same campaign even. It, it can. Because Knowledge can be just, hey, my skills went up, you know, in whatever variation of the yeah, system. I have two that more is. ranks in knowledge politics or, or whatever. Yeah, whatever. But it can also be learning things about the campaign world, learning things about the story, etc. You know, knowledge earned through play. You could very easily say that. I know who the big bad is now instead right. of there's just this evil force out there. Right. That moment when the villain reveals himself. I've been watching a lot of Young Justice, which, by the way, is really, really good for a uh, superhero cartoon. That moment of, oh, we see what's going on or, oh, we understand the stresses that the bad guys have been putting on the rest of my team and we've got we've conquered that. Those moments of knowledge and revelation are an advancement, right? Your character is no longer the same, and they can do more things now. They can move forward. And then there's the the nerd-troped power stuff. Magic, psionics, you know, additional capabilities that you didn't have before and that often people in the real world just don't have. Right. One important thing that I do want to note is that how the skin that you put on any of these, it doesn't matter... A lot necessarily, but sometimes it can make a big difference in the tone of your campaign. My greater physical power could be inherent to me, or it could be I've gotten access to better technology, uh, XCOM style, or got access, I've unlocked certain gear that I couldn't get before, things like that. It's going to have an effect, but ultimately I think it comes down to this is how we've skinned it. Yeah, I mean, a perfect example of this in. Um... In XCOM is there's there's certain late game technological advances that you can make that hmm, how do I put this without spoiling anything in the game? They, they effectively make your characters into very limited superheroes in some ways. They can do stuff that just totally violates the laws of physics or that um, just isn't possible any other way in the game world. And yeah, it's skinned as a piece of equipment, but generally speaking, the same soldier just keeps wearing it. So it's really, it's it's only a, a power that isn't theirs in the same way that Iron Man's suit isn't his, you know? Right. Yeah, exactly. Second way to look at character advancement is 
greater connections. And this can take the form of contacts or allies or other kind of NPCs that acknowledge the player character as somebody important or feed them information or help them out in various ways. Uh, this can also be team benefits within the party. I know um, D&D 3.5 had some teamwork feats or maybe yep. it was Pathfinder. I forget which. Uh, I think both maybe. Both. Yeah. Where you needed two characters to have the feed and work in concert to get some benefit. I've seen superhero games in particular where characters have like combiner powers where they can both do something together. And then the last one is social standing. So within a nation or an organization or something, you gain rank and prestige and probably responsibilities too. Right. And it's worth pointing out that this is not necessarily going to replace your personal character advancement. No, um, it'll probably augment it in some way. Right. They Edge may of, even go hand in hand. Exactly. Edge of the Empire, I know, for example, has a system where you've got, you know, your personal character points, They your character grows, but you also, your party basically gets points and levels up in its relationship with whatever your organization is, the Alliance or the Rebellion or what have you, that sort of thing. Um, and that unlocks gear and access and and that sort of thing right because you're you're viewed as individuals but you're also viewed as a group right exactly so. and it's a whole team thing the original editions of dungeons and dragons you kind of had this idea that as your character leveled up like your fighter went from i'm just your average fighting guy to i have a castle and people who serve under me and I go to war instead of go play around in dungeons, that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I may not ever pick up a sword for long periods of time because I'm telling other people to do it for me. Exactly. And it's a different sort of game at that point, but you're growing in standing. Your, uh, your long-running birthright game that you talked about a lot in the early years of the podcast was kind of a focus on this, wasn't it? Well, it was because... We had characters who had levels, but ultimately what was happening was we were running political organizations of different types, not just nations. Right. But it's it's that same idea of our social status is growing and changing, and we're playing on bigger and bigger parts of the world stage. And the last one, and I think this is the least common, but for our purposes, maybe the most important, is personal growth. This is, to a certain degree, touching on just character development in its purest sense. But I think everybody likes that part of the hero's journey where the hero becomes a better person. Yeah. Uh, and this it's can very be, inspiring to watch. It is. And there can certainly be hiccups and that sort of thing, but I think everybody likes it when the character is a better person at the start of the campaign, you know, wiser and maybe more responsible. You mean at the end of the campaign? Uh, yes, end of the campaign. Hi, I can't talk. You know, so this could be a character taking on more responsibility, could be a, a negative character trait that they started off with, or a very negative outlook on life, that sort of thing. Uh, being reversed or gotten jettisoned. Rid of. Yeah. yeah, jettisoned, that's a good word. My favorite example of this from a, a video game is actually Final Fantasy IV, which was Final Fantasy II in the U.S., where you start off basically playing a blackguard and end up playing a paladin. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You really start off not being a good person, and the journey that you go on turns you into a good person. It's it's an interesting game. And for the era, fairly complicated character development. 
I mean, not great, but, you know, okay. And you may take on new virtues, that sort of thing. And, you know, this is, it's useful to compare this to a concept that certain Christian denominations have, progressive sanctification. Yeah, this is this is something that uh, my denomination has. Where yeah, and and it's not uncommon in other denominations. Like you know, I, I'm a Presbyterian, and that's the Reformed view is somewhat more complicated on sanctification. There's progressive sanctification, but also definitive justification. It turns out this is a complicated topic, but. Like a lot of mature theological topics, there's been a lot of debate and a lot of things written. But just in a quick nutshell before we move on, the idea of progressive sanctification is that you become more holy over time. Right. Wesley, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, kind of had this idea that a truly mature Christian will be able to almost completely avoid or resist committing willful sins by the time they're ready to to die and take on their the next step of their journey. Right. Um, I hope I live a really long time if that's the way that it's got to go. I got a lot of cruft to get rid of. But yeah. and, and the Reformed view on this is that sanctification is a process of growing closer to God. And sanctification happens within that framework, but that's not the only kind of justification that there is. I'm, I'm really glad that you took a moment to comment on this in the outline because I knew it was a little different in Presbyterianism than it was in Methodism, but I didn't know how. And Be- it was better just... to say that it's it's a little different from a Calvinist or Reformed perspective. Yeah. Uh, at a broader level. I-, I looked it up briefly, and there's like five different <laughs> doctrines of uh, sanctification depending on different I think I probably looked and... at the same articles. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it gets you can get real deep in the theological weeds with this. Yeah, and, and that I is kinda, beyond the scope of this podcast. It is, and I'll be honest with you, this is not something I have studied much and me am neither familiar with. So I kind of want to not touch it too much, other than to say go read up on it. It's interesting, and you may want to know what your personal denomination's view on the matter is. Yeah, it's. It's worth acknowledging, but since neither one of us is an expert, we should probably move on at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Other than to point out that I think the concept of growing in faith is something that we're all pretty familiar with. And the exact yeah, I think that's more or less universal. Yeah, the, the exact theological meaning can vary and your perspective on it can vary. But I think if everybody would say, yeah, if somebody spends time studying the Bible and reading works about Christianity and their faith and going to church regularly and getting involved in trying to put their face into constructive or their faith into constructive practice, you know, going out and doing some good in the world. Yeah, I I think everybody would look at that person and say, yes, that person has grown in their faith. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't that kind of growth is something that I think we can reflect in characters. Somebody who's gotten, I'm going to say, wiser for lack of a better word, somebody who's grown as a person. And that's, a, I think, a good opportunity to bring some of these Christian virtues into your character, even if you're playing a game where Christianity, as written, at, you know, as taught, as, as we know it and understand it, is not necessarily in that game. Yeah. I had a—this is that Ravenloft game that I've talked about before. Right. I had a character that went through this. The— the GM ran this as basically 
a D20 based system, but we uh-huh. didn't get to see our own character sheets. He had us come up with basic concepts and we worked out a little bit of background with him, but there were hidden aspects about our own characters that we discovered in play. And my character went from being this kind of ruthless, hard-bitten soldier type to kind of kind of the type 1 paladin from my blog post about that. We should probably link that in the show notes. And then wound up as being a more kind of thoughtful and kind-hearted person at the end of the campaign. So, yeah, I mean, that it can make for really interesting role-playing material, and it can be a lot of fun to go through and explore, but you have to be kind of intentional about it. Yeah. A lot of gaming systems are not going to give you a whole lot of fodder out of the mechanics. Some will. Fate, in particular, seems like it would lend itself to this really well. A lot of kind of what's considered to be the indie games would would be good for this, but uh, if you want to do it with D and D, you're probably it, it's not impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But well, it's it doesn't be something have to you've be got mechanical. It doesn't have to be mechanical. That's the no, the key it, thing. and it, it actually kind of wasn't in this particular case, which is one of the things that made it so cool. Right. So let me ask you a maybe a very big question about okay. me, Peter. Should characters advance at all? <laughs> it really depends on the game. Uh, I think generally yes, though. Okay. Uh, I, I think for the reasons that we gave at the beginning of this episode, it's probably, unless you have a really compelling reason not to do it, it's probably better if characters do advance, just you know, so you can get the, the motivational hooks and the sense of progression and the hero's journey and all of that stuff. Okay. And I think you're right, but there are enough games out there where there is no character advancement, that I wanted to mention it. Well, certainly, it like, okay, I, I don't think there's much advancement in inspectors on the individual character level, right? Uh, not a ton, no. And we still had fun with that. And sure. obviously, there's really no time to advance in a con game, and I know we've both had a great deal of fun with those. Right. Well, con games, I, I'm going to say, are, are a special. They're kind of their own strange animal, yeah, but a useful example still. Yes, fair enough. Now, here, here's a, a somewhat related question. When do characters get to advance? Boy, that's that's super dependent on the it campaign. Is. And, and I mean, this is something that you really need to think about because yeah. it's going to change the tone of your game a fair bit. And there are positives and negatives to both. And both here meaning the GM sets certain times when characters get to advance. Yeah, I, I actually have a, a counter question for you on this one, because I'm, I'm interested to see if this personal experience of mine was fairly unique or if you've seen this. Have you ever been in a D&D style game where you leveled up in real time? Like if you the GM would hand out experience after every encounter and if you dinged over, you'd stop in the middle of play and level your character up before continuing. Or was it always at the end of the session? It was always at the end of the session, but that's because most of my games were a bit of roleplay and then a two-hour fight. Well, I mean, that's I think that's how a lot of us start roleplaying. Right, but so that's like th- that's the hardly only kind an uncommon experience. But yeah. I had one GM that, that handed stuff out in real time, mm-hmm. and it had its pros and cons. <laughs> I will say this. I tried it in my very, very awful fourth edition Eberron game. And it just turned out to be one more distraction. Fair enough. I don't mind the idea. And 
the big advantage. I think advantage, it works better if you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, the big advantage of having you know that stuff just handed out, just as you go, as you go, as you go. Maybe not necessarily every encounter in a game, but certainly not at the end of the story. Here's all of your XP in a lump sum. The, there's an advantage to it where there's a common moment in a lot of stories where something unlocks within a character and they do something cool that they hadn't done before. And the ability to do that is really incredibly rewarding for a lot of characters. You know, and this could be Goku going Super Saiyan. This could be, hey, I figured out this cool little trick I can do with my sword. It could be... There's something that I want to reference from The Force Awakens, but it's so recent. I don't yeah, want to no, spoil no, it. we're not doing that. But, you know, Neo in The Matrix... Anybody know exactly what I'm talking about, though. Well, but Neo in The Matrix, you know, he yes. gets more and more skills as he goes, and I, it's safe to say that he's doing that mid-story. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's unpack Neo a little more, because he he has a bunch of different skins on He on does, but, but I do want to point out that there are also advantages to putting it off. Yes, that's true. Because for the GM, you're not having to readjust the the story that you have to accommodate changes to the characters, right? And it also gives a slightly more realistic sense to a episodic story because in an episodic story, you have some stuff that happens and it kind of the stage is set at the start and characters have change but they're not suddenly developing new things that they can do that's a really good point that i hadn't thought about it actually it helps reinforce the structure of an episodic game exactly and then in between hey we've got a new thing now yes there are things that you can do within an episodic story of hey we figured out something we've made some changes we we are doing new things but those are coming from play as opposed to something metagame giving out more ability and raising the power level of the story, right? Well, and to go back to the XCOM example, well, okay, yeah. You do. Um, Yeah. Certainly a lot of stuff in Star Trek is very knowledge-based, so you don't have to... It's not the sort of thing that would would be on a character sheet, right? The the crew goes down to some planet or something and discovers a problem, and they come back to the ship and discuss the problem and do research and whatever else they have to do, and then they go and solve the problem. Right. And Jordy's, you know, like Jordy LaForge and his technobabble, the stuff that he's doing with the, the technology is the use of skills to solve the problem. It's not advancement, you know. Right. <laughs> Star Trek is very clear that they don't remember anything from episode to episode. <laughs> I, I've been watching Next Gym with my wife, and... It's it's incredibly frustrating. Somebody should take notes. They've solved these <laughs> problems before, and they have to remember, like, find <laughs> should, new ways to. They do should them. have like a manual. Or it's like, what's the standard operating procedure for this? No, oh, hang no, on they just need a to have a things that happened previously, and apparently they don't. It's it's really bad. <laughs> well, you know, it was a show from what the nineties, so uh, yeah, and. and it had multiple writers, and that's always bad. Yeah, and, they've, and, you know, they've so on learned so some things about that kind of structure since then. Yeah, but they more being to the, point, the people who make TV shows, right? But more to the point, it, there's a it, when you're watching it kind of in a binge format, it becomes really obvious that nobody is writing anything down. 
Yeah. Well, you know, they have to do it that way because back when that was on the air, the whole like Netflix, you know, binge consume a season in order thing didn't exist. I mean, the stuff went into syndication and they would just air stuff out of order all over the place. So, right. It didn't matter. But my point is that the, the things that happen within an episode like that are things contained within the episode. Right. And they're things the protagonists have earned in that story, not an ongoing permanent improvement, right? right? It's the result of their efforts. But yeah, let's let's get back to The Matrix, because I think The Matrix is a perfectly safe, unspoilable sort of Yeah, thing I mean, it came point. out in, what, 1999 or something like that? Am I that old? I'm that old. I, I'm that old. Oh, dear. Okay, sure, we'll say something like that. And there, are, you're right, there are a lot of different... It is... It's the hero's journey, right? You yeah, go from nobody is. to the savior of the world. And... There are a lot of different ways that you do this. First is knowledge, where he learns that there's something else going on, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of his first, what is that, crossing the threshold in this particular case, would you say? Yes, I mean, exactly. that whole sequence where, you know, he sits down, he takes the pill that Morpheus gives to him, and then they start showing him exactly what's going on, that he's in a simulation, and the process of pulling him out of that and stuff. That's the crossing the threshold. That's that's an advancement through the acquisition of knowledge. Right. And likewise, there's the training sequence of tank uploading skills and so on and so forth. Yeah. And then after that, he has a mentorship montage, really, with uh, with Morpheus, where he's like, okay, you have all of these skills. They've been directly uploaded into your brain. Here's how to take all of that new capability that you suddenly have acquired and apply it properly and how to think about it differently and how to think about the world differently and stuff. It's it's the kind of training that you can't get as easily from a book. Right. And then later in the movie, there's some spontaneous development and epiphanies that he has uh, towards the end of the film where he suddenly kind of starts to develop powers when he's under stress. So they're on this mission to rescue Morpheus and suddenly he can move superhumanly fast and he keeps getting faster and he can actually go toe to toe with an agent. And then it culminates in him being like riddled with bullets and flatlining and then standing up and just doing a bunch of superhuman things and totally mopping the floor with the adversaries in the movie. Right. And it's worth pointing out that that happens literally mid fight. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a moment of, Hey, I can do something new and cool now. Something yeah, is unlocked. Yeah, he runs through a door, and then it happens. <laughs> right. And it's a cool moment, and it would have been... It would not have worked if it had been, oh, I need some downtime to get new powers. Yeah. Now, there are times when downtime works very well. It's just a question of which one works well for my stories. Yeah, in particular, like, if you've got, like, a D&D wizard kind of a character... Downtime to acquire new powers makes perfect sense. I mean, it's a scholarly pursuit. You have to sit down. You have to wrap your brain around these magical theories. You probably have to acquire some components that need to go into there. It's it's a lengthy process. It's not something you're going to develop like Neo in the Matrix. It's going to take time. Right. And that brought up another point that I wanted to talk about. Okay. When you decide what you're getting matters a lot. Yeah, that's true. And what I mean is, in a lot of systems, you kind of have the, okay, I have a certain amount to spend, right? You have some resources to spend. Point buy is really kind of the, the key example of this, right? You get more and more points, and it's, do I save up for something big? Do I spend it on little things? What do I do with it? And those can affect 
your character pretty significantly in terms of what they can do, but it also is you're making a decision right then. Maybe there are things that you know you want, but generally it's, well, when do I get them? What's, what's my path, right? Right. Whereas other systems really reward and are centered on front-loading those decisions. And this can be, any. I think anything class-based necessarily does some front-loading because it's, what am I? Right. Yeah, the um the D and D three point five forums that you and I spent time in back in the old days are the perfect example of this, where it's like, hey, I'm going to be starting a new campaign. What build should I use? Right, and that's why I think D and D three five that explains a couple of D and D three five's problems. First, the and I don't know that character optimization was necessarily a problem, but you know, the ability to do all the the interesting builds and things like that come from the fact that you have everything laid out, and all of your decisions are made ahead of time, right? Yeah. It also, the fact that spellcasters were very popular in 3rd edition, I think stemmed from the fact that spellcasters, as they leveled, got to continue to make choices about how their character developed. You get new spells at each level, independent of the things you're getting from leveling up. Right. Yeah, I mean, they and they also got to make more of those choices. Like, um, right. a D and D three point five fighter, he'd get a a new feat every other level as part of his class. He'd get two plus intelligence modifier skill points, one d ten plus mm-hmm. constitution modifier of hit points, and another feat every third level, like every other character. Right, and, and that it's was worth it. pointing out that the way it was designed, D and D three five did not reward changes to your skills because you had to keep your skills had to keep going up in uh, rank with you. So it was okay. I put all of my skill points into the same skills that I took at level one. Yeah. You know, once they just started so they doing things like parity. skill tricks and stuff, it, it started giving you a little more incentive to spread well, right. your skill points around a little bit, but it also made the game much more complicated and easier to break. Right, and they had to do that because otherwise skills were exceptionally boring. Yeah. Like, there was no reason to track skill points. It was just, how many skills do you know? Cool. Your skills are rank your level plus three. Yeah, and, and it was... That's, that's the, it. The thing is, it wasn't until Complete Scoundrel, I believe, that those came in, which was a splat book that came in in, what, the last year of 3.5's existence? Um... No, it was a bit before the little last little year. before then. Yeah, but you know, yes, I see what you're it saying. It was towards the end, certainly. Yeah, it was one of the last few right. of that and it was basically series that they released. Ways to break that up. Yeah. Now, front loading is not necessarily a bad thing, but you need to be aware of it. And I think it's possible to get into a trap in game design where your front loading is not just all the decisions are made before the character really starts play, but also all of the interesting changes happen early on, and then later advancement is just numbers. Yeah. You see that a lot with, again, D&D 3.5 and other class-based stuff where you it's just... You know what just... else you actually see it with? Hmm. GURPS. You can't really buy advantages after character creation. Okay, So, like, yeah. all of these defining, interesting, you know, kind of um, dramatic abilities that you have... You start out with a certain batch of them, you keep them through play, and that list does not change. Your skills yeah. go up, 
with some advantages, they might be leveled, so you might buy a few extra levels of those. And if you're playing somebody with nerd trope powers like psionics or spellcasting, those might improve a little bit. But you can't buy combat reflexes, for instance, after character creation in most right. games. Now, it's worth pointing out that D&D had a different sort of character advancement that was not front-loaded, and that was gear. Gear is all about, you know, first off, it's what you find in the dungeon, right? There's a certain amount of stuff we found, stuff we rolled up, etc. But it's also, and again, this is a, a later editions thing, I've got a certain amount of money that I spend on gear that gives me new abilities, increases my stats in certain ways, one-shot items that I can use for certain things, you know, scrolls and potions that change my character, and I'm using that advancement for that, right? Gear, it, kind of related to technology, right? It, it's basically fantasy tech. Yeah, and actually... While we're on this real quick, that mirrors XCOM in a big way. Because you're constantly researching things to try and get an edge over the aliens that you're fighting, you're getting this constant influx of new gear. And in the sequel, um, I suppose this is a tiny little spoiler, uh, but it's been mentioned in a lot of reviews and stuff. You, you'll find this loot on the battlefield called Illyrium Cores. And you take those back to your headquarters and you give those to your engineering department and there's a, a number of different things that you can put them into, but you don't know what you're going to get back. You'll have, like, experimental ammo or experimental grenades or experimental armor or there's some other stuff that comes later in the game that I won't spoil. But you'll get, for instance, incendiary or armor-piercing bullets back, but you don't know which it's going to be. And right. so, much like the D&D loot, it's, it's advancement, but it's not controlled by the players, it's in the case of D&D, it's handed out by the GM. And in the case of XCOM, it's given out by an algorithm in the game. <laughs> so there's some still some surprises in there. And it's not a completely set in stone, preordained process. At least it doesn't have to be. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And certainly the randomness is, I think, pretty common in a lot of modern video games, right? You know, your loot box, your pack of cards, whatever. Actually, you know, it's an, it's an interesting analogy. You could kind of say that for collectible card games, opening more and more packs is sort of a way of advancing. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're adding more technology that you have available. Or spending money. Well, you know? well <laughs> it's options, general. right? Yeah, you, it's... you have more options, more things that you can do. And I don't want to pursue that too far because we're getting way off the RPG track, but it's, it's not entirely dissimilar. No, in fact, um, a lot of uh, a lot of CCG podcasts refer to that as deck tech. So yeah, it's, that's true. It's there the go. actual term. Fair enough. What else? You know, I I think you could also make an argument that we advance as gamers. Uh, yeah, and this is certainly. I don't want to spend too much time on this either because it's not character advancement. But you know, we do learn new systems. We learn to be better players and better gamers. We, as we try new things, we pick up little bits and pieces from other games. We have characters that we liked and want to do more. You consume media with your gamer goggles on. That can help. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Hence our gaming curriculum series. Yes, there you go. So that certainly happens. One thing I do want to point out, just kind of to wrap up the character advancement discussion, if you are in a game or if you are running a game where character advancement is a thing, even if you're of the opinion that you should hold off on 
character advancement, you know, like significant character advancement until a particular story has wrapped up. And this is very common in like um, White Wolfy style games. Yeah. Where, where it's, you know, we have a, a scene and a story. And when the story is done, you get a bunch of XP for finishing up the story. Even then, I think giving out just even token amounts of XP to your characters is important because there, it kind of feeds that little I, I need some kind of progress thing going on in your player's brain. It's you get a little bit, you get a little bit, you get a little bit. Boom, here's a bunch. Well, and I mean, with the Savage Worlds Shadowrun game that you ran, we would quote unquote level up, what, about every fifth or sixth session or something like that? It wasn't super common, yeah. but we'd get a, you know, a point of experience or two here and there. And actually, in some ways that, you know, there, there's one thing that we should talk about here before we wrap this up and that's the pace of advancement yes because i've been in i've been in games where it's been like a chain gun where you're you're gaining you know levels at a breakneck pace mm -hmm. and i've also been in ones that are a little bit more leisurely like the shadow run game and i actually have come to prefer the second option because it gives you the chance to actually experience one batch of advancement and familiarize yourself with it and learn what you can do with it before the next one gets dropped onto your plate. That's true. In fact, you guys actually asked that we slow down the rate of character growth and XP gain in the Shadowrun game. We did, yeah. And that was because you felt like we were just getting too powerful too fast. And that, that, came, that was a unanimous thing from the three players in that game. It was just, you know, let, let's slow down a little bit. And I think that's fine. That, that was great. And it didn't affect the story I was telling either way. Yeah, and it, part of that, too, was because, and this actually also bears mentioning, if you've got characters that get much more powerful, the story has to keep up, right? So you, you start out with your, let's use the lingua franca, um, your first level D&D &D characters are out fighting goblins and kobolds or defending a single town, maybe orcs or skeletons or something. But, you know, these are low level kind of individual threats on a small scale. Mm hmm that can actually be a really compelling kind of a game. Sure. Uh, if you use a, a different system, you could make an entire campaign out of that where it's like you have this small group of local heroes in this confined area that are dealing with threats to this particular thing and possibly um, Fear the Boot actually talks about this with their Skies of Glass games where the players become part of a community and it's, it's kind of about that, you know? But that's a lower-powered, smaller-scale kind of thing. Well... If you're really enjoying that and all of a sudden your characters are far too powerful for that sort of a story to make sense anymore, you can advance right out of the fun in the campaign. Right. And it's like you've got these characters that are like Greek heroes or demigods at this point. Well, they're not going to hang around one little town. The world needs saving now. Well, and if they don't, it starts to the whole game starts to feel really hollow and false. Yeah. Because... It's very contrived. Well, contrived or it starts to become clear that character advancement doesn't matter because if it's and this was a game that I played in very briefly where it turns out that having huge numbers didn't matter at all because the GM was just making everything up but it was very much a case of oh it doesn't matter how powerful you are you always need to roll a 12 or better to open this door well then what's the point of giving me all these numbers other than to give me more math right right it was oh yeah in this particular game and this was a, a truly terrible 
terrible game. I don't know that I've talked about it a ton on the show, but maybe in the I think early you've, days. I, you've, you've referenced it a bit. This was a game where basically the GM didn't care how much damage you rolled. Fights had to go on for a certain period of time before it was over. Just things like that where... I'd character... be stocking up on petrification effects and stuff so fast. Yeah, that's the thing. He he started finding ways out of those too because, no, no, it's not time for him to be defeated yet. After a while, it very quickly became, well, what's the point? Why am I here? Why Why do any of my decisions... Why am I making decisions? Yeah. Right? It, it doesn't matter what I do. You're going to say that this is how it goes regardless. And at a, a less obvious level, if it's, oh, you know, you've put a bunch of points into ranking up your uh, pick locks skill, and it still turns out that you need to roll the same thing to open wooden doors regardless of what your pick lock skill is. It's like, uh, this is a DC 10 door, and then, you know, five levels later, this is a DC 15 door. It's kind of the same place we were, yes, but now the doors are DC 15. Because it needs to be a challenge. It it rings hollow, right? The whole thing feels fake. Well, and a lot of video games fall into that trap. You know, it's oh, like yeah. you, all these numbers go up, but everything, the difficulty stays the same. Mm-hmm. And it's like a character who is like a, a level 20 D&D rogue that's put, you know, that many ranks into pick lock should be able to walk through a locked door in like a you know a tavern in some random town without breaking stride they're so good yeah exactly and if you're not careful about it or you give into that temptation of well i always have to challenge my players and some of it is adversarial but not all of it right i know some of it's a sincere desire to position to make an interesting play experience for your group. And it's like, well, if I don't challenge them, they're going to get bored. And it's, well, you know, every once in a while, players like feeling like they're just totally, to use a video game term again, overleveled and can just steamroll whatever obstacles are put in front of them. It's like, yeah, I picked that locked door in two seconds. You know, these guards were down for the count within, you know, a couple seconds of them seeing me. There's um, there's a great scene in... uh, and a first season episode of uh, Leverage, where Elliot, their their kind of their fighting guy, takes on a couple of trained guys, and he has them all down for the count before this bag he dropped hits the floor. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's like every once in a while, a player character likes to feel like Elliot in that scene, right? And I think at that, if you've hit that point in your campaign, you're going to have to work really hard to repair it. Because that's probably the result of giving more character advancement opportunities than the story you wanted to tell should have supported. Or you just need to take your campaign in a different direction. Like you were saying earlier, you know, those birthright characters, I mean, if some of them took on a couple of fifth level adventurers, I'm guessing the floor would be freshly mopped at the end. But that Uh, wasn't what the story was about. I mean, it was it was about politics and factions and stuff. They they had grown, so the story had to grow around them, and it became about bigger things than just fighting and getting treasure. Yeah. Which is which is why to kind of bring this full circle back to the the conversation about this particular aspect of advancement. If you don't want to get to that point, if you want to keep things smaller and more personal and or, or grittier or more visceral or whatever you want to describe it as or what you're going for. 
slow it down. Right. You know, I mean, our Shadowrun crew really enjoyed doing kind of small to medium-sized jobs on facilities that were not totally Fort Knox, but had some security and stuff because that was fun for our group. We could yeah. We was, could kind of flex our group's personality that way. It was a Shadowrun-themed heist game is really what it that really was. It really was, yeah. And that worked out fine because that's what people wanted. They did not want to suddenly be fighting dragons and major players in the Shadowrun universe and that sort of thing. Like, that's... No. You know, now, when I run Rogue Trader, maybe you do want some of that because... You go from I'm this. Well, that's just Warhammer lowly... 40k. Well, but that's that's what I'm saying is you're going from lowly trader to guy fighting, you know, the horrors of the void and the deepest of space and you know threats to humanity and that sort of thing, and that's fine. That's okay. Or maybe you guys will say, you know what? Let's keep going at this level where we are and just play with the you know the enemies we've got and the the levels that we have and i mean levels in not in the, the strict mechanical sense but the general the general number of dice and the numbers we're rolling for and that sort of thing so that we're not trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger yeah the um the severity of the threat stays about the same. Right. Or you, the you, severity uh, of the challenges even right. stays about the same. And you guys may not be interested in you know, galaxy-shattering threats. Cool. Or you guys may go, no, it'd be really cool if these guys came out of nowhere and were the only ones who stopped this galaxy-shattering threat. Well, I mean, and none of the... It also bears mentioning that none of these are the wrong approach. I right, mean, exactly. Firefly, Star you guys Wars, want. and Star Trek are all compelling stories. Right. It's what you guys want and express as a desire through play. Yep. I'm cool with that. So... Yeah. All right. I think that's a good point to wrap up. Honestly. Yeah, I think now we have we have put the proverbial bow on it. So. Finally, yes. Um, <laughs> I do want to hear your thoughts, listeners, on character advancement, you know, as abstractly or specifically as you want to get with that. Again, email us at hosts at stgcast.org. Comment on the post. Comment on social media. You know, when we post it, just send us messages, tweet at us, whatever. Right. We're we're good for it. Yep. And we love hearing from you guys. We really however do. you want to do it. Uh, we got a lot of positive feedback, by the way, on our listener mailbag episode, so that's that's pretty cool. Very cool. One little tiny housekeeping note, by the way. Our recording schedule has changed somewhat, so we used to have about a two and a half week delay in between when we recorded and when an episode would actually go out. It's down to about a week and a half, just yeah. because of changes and me getting slightly faster with editing. You know, we are a little more responsive to things now. <laughs> you know, yeah. that we can make a big difference. So there you go. All right. Well, listen, this has actually been a fun conversation. Thank you, Peter, for the yeah, idea. Yeah, it really has been. I enjoyed it. And uh, from both of us here, have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.